Conversations with Catholic Voices. Tackling the tough questions with Daniel Noor and Catholic Voices Australia. Hello, Cranio listeners. My name is Daniel Noor. Uh, I'm a young Catholic. Uh, I'm a journalist and a convert to the faith. And this kind of combative combination of feelings and thoughts have made for a very, very destructive, self-destructive situation where I'm constantly asking questions. I'm very confused almost all the time, and I'm always apprehensive about stuff. And so I have a thirst to get things straight on the major theological, social, political, and moral problems that face the church today. And so this is Conversations with Catholic Voices. Cradio is Sydney's, it's the, it's the network for young Catholics. There's no doubt about it. And it has given me a representative of the church. They've had a, a good long run now with this series. Today we're following up a conversation which we started uh, last time with Andrew Milne. Uh, the topic is the church's response to asylum seekers. Uh, you should know a little bit about Andrew. Uh, he's a great guy, great guy. Uh, trained as an engineer and a lawyer, uh, but he has decided that his passion lies elsewhere and he plans on going into religious studies teaching. Um, he lives with his wife in uh, Melbourne, um, in the suburbs of Melbourne, with their young son. And we're very lucky to have him with us today. Hello, Andrew. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. So, taking off uh, where we uh, left off last time, mm. we did outline that the church is in a difficult spot. Because on the one hand, on the one hand, we have um, it's relatively kind. I mean, certainly the Christian ideal is um, one of love toward the stranger. But there is that kindness and responsibility toward the stewardship of a country, I suppose, while there Mm. is charity toward the stranger. And on the other hand, the increasingly hardline policies of our government toward asylum seekers and also the swathe of the Australian population, which might not be particularly open to the idea of flinging open the doors, as it were, the the metaphorical doors. And so Mm. we are in a hard spot. We're tackling then how it is that the church um, presents its views to the public. So, Andrew, I will get right into that with, um, is it realistically feasible? Is it feasible, first of all, for the government to defy the mood of the people they govern? Because isn't it the sentiment of Australians which defines the government's policy on asylum? Mm. Well, I think there are many in the public who would who, who would be open to softening the approach, um, especially if the government worked in a bipartisan fashion. I mean, in our last segment, we sort of talked about the rhetoric, and it's pretty clear that that both sides of the, the, the political spectrum have engaged in, in rhetoric, uh, really sort of fanning the flames of fear. If we look back in, at the 70s following the Vietnam War, when there was a you know, huge issue with Vietnamese refugees and boat people, um, at that time, um, both sides of government said, look, we, we can do something about that, and we'll work together, uh, we'll increase our quota, and, and we'll really do our bit to, to help resolve this um, humanitarian crisis. And so I think that's, that's really... I'm sorry, Andrew, when was that? That was in the 1970s. Okay. So that was the Fraser government. Okay. 
Um, so, look, I, I think that's – I don't think it's really a question of the government defying the mood of the people. It's it's more a case of the government deciding to be a part of the, the solution. And I guess by the government, I mean both the government and the opposition working together um, because at the moment it, it just seems too easy for both sides to be competing really to, to sort of have various sort of harsh policies. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think – if, if both sides got together and and um, worked out something reasonable and decided that they wouldn't sort of tear tear each other to shreds on that issue when the other was in power, well, I think they could bring the public. I mean, I, mean, I think there's a the big section of the public who are, are, are desperate for Australia to treat asylum seekers better. And for those who are a bit unsure as to their feelings, um, if the government took a more considered and uh, thoughtful approach and had bipartisan support, then uh, many more people could be convinced that a more humane approach to refugees would be appropriate. And what, I guess what I'm suggesting is an increase in quota and a commitment to process refugees more effectively. So there is this. I, 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 I yes. I take up then. I was watching an episode of Q and A, and I would agree with you that. I do think that it's the media which is the mouthpiece of the government, unfortunately, mm. and mm. that in some cases, and that they have not, I don't think, always represented the objective, and that is a very um, puritanical term, but they have not the, the basic facts about what asylum entails. So, for example, you know, mm. Angry Anderson... Um, that loudmouth on uh, an episode of Q&A that I was just watching, saying something like, mm. you know, because he was quite right-wing about this before SBS sent him to, I think, Afghanistan on a TV show documentary called Go right. Back to Where You Came From. And he yeah. was all, you know, well, you know what, if you're going to come into this country without getting in line and if you're going to take someone else's space who was waiting in the queue, then we will send you yeah. back train you know, bus or flight, whatever. And then he yeah. went to Afghanistan and he was like, well, and then they showed him this footage and he said, mm. actually, um, it was education that made me change my view. He's now, yeah. I, I'm not sure exactly what the, the details are, but he visited some Mazaris, uh, yeah. I think are a persecuted um, Muslim um, sect in Afghanistan persecuted mm. by the Taliban and mm. and he was all, well, actually, they, they have non-citizen status in their own country. It's it's yeah, yeah. it's irrelevant what you know. There are any other yeah. considerations other than the fact that these people will die and yeah, are being yeah. persecuted, and so it's education that made him change his views there. And uh, I I do agree with you that it's not fair to just say, well, we're giving the people what they want when the people aren't mm. maybe to know yeah. the, the details of the thing. Do you think we need to be better educated, perhaps, about the ins and outs of the people who we would be letting into the country and their circumstances. Yeah, definitely. And I think even for me, just, I guess, doing a bit of research for our discussion, you know, I, I guess the big question we all have, uh, you know, who exactly are these people and sort of how did, um, you know, we know that generally when we talk about people live somehow got to Indonesia and then get on a boat, but, but what's the story before that? I mean, how, how did they get to Indonesia? And, I guess I understand what you're saying about that minority. That often the minorities have their papers taken away from them, so they're, you know, they're, they're virtually sort of stateless. And then somehow they manage 
to, to travel, I guess, south um, southeast from those nations to eventually make their way to Indonesia. Yeah. But but then they sort of reach the end of the road and that they really have to, at that point, there's, there's nowhere further to go. They, they certainly don't have any protection in Indonesia. And that's when they, they sort of come on the boat. So I think education to to sort of help people understand more what's going on um, would help a lot. But but the question is, how do you do that? And I guess it's a matter of how that's achieved. I mean, certainly the media has a role to play in that. And I, I, I guess what we're up against is some outlets who are really just keen on uh, the sort of sensational stories that sell. And that doesn't lend itself well to to developing well-thought-out policy. So I guess certainly as Catholics, we can we can do what we can on sort of social media to, to raise awareness of what's actually going on um, when we find good documentaries or good articles to sort of circulate that information so that people do have access to informative news that... that so you're saying and, that viewers... And how it responds that, to science that, seekers. That, you know, the population need better access to the right kind of information? I think that would be a huge help, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There is a lot in that. I, I, I do feel like the, the church, I, I don't know, I just feel like it's no accident that Australia's asylum policies seem to me stricter than most other developed nations. Like, mm. like for example, that we send people back, you mm. know, um, mm. pe- people who are border-locked, landlocked with other nations who have shared land borders don't mm. even do that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, like we see that with um, the states and, and Mexico perhaps, although even they are, are becoming stricter. But in any case, yeah. I'm just concerned that their culture always seems to dominate. Like the Vatican, for example, you know, Pope Francis had to really come out quite strongly and make statements about the need for Vatican thugs and the mafia in Italy to get its hands out mm. of, you know, that nation state. And that's the Vatican, the seat mm. of Catholicism. Um, and we see in yeah. any society that there are always forces which define the culture. And mm. I think here there is that kind of insularity and isolation and that fear of the world, mm. which I don't know, somehow brings us together, you know, and I'm concerned that the church mm. is not really contending with that. It would be a difficult thing, maybe, to change. But do, mm. what do you think of that? Well, look, I think it's a really interesting question to ask. What is, what is the role of the church in changing culture? And, and how has it been um, doing that in relation to asylum seekers? I think one issue that the church has faced over recent years is that, that rightly or wrongly, the church has sort of been caricatured by the media as, as uh, sort of an outdated institution that sort of has, has these funny views on sexual morality that it's always banging on about. And apart from that, it doesn't really sort of have much to offer. I think probably the critical issue for the church is to sort of rediscover uh, ways in which it can, can get its voice heard across the range of uh, issues that that are, are of legitimate concern to Christians, and certainly asylum seekers is one of those issues. Um, so it's it's really ways of making the public realise and the media realise that the church is not a, a left wing or a right wing institution, and what it is is an institution that um, truly uh, 
is on the side of the underdog, the vulnerable, the people without a voice. And so that that includes the asylum seeker. Um, and so whilst we can look and on the internet, we can find all these statements from the church on these issues. I think um, the church needs to find more ways to get its voice out on those issues and get its voice heard. And I think that'll only help our other causes as well when people realize that the church does have have such a broad vision for the well-being of society yeah. um, that it's trying to communicate. No, that's um, it's a very beautiful thought. And it has to be a, a, a more outspoken media policy then that you're saying. Well, when you say that the church has... I'm not even going to let you respond to that, by the way. I'm just going to charge on through. When you say that the church um, does have a broad vision for society, I, I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about where it draws the line. Does it endorse the idea that we need to protect our borders? Well, look, I came across in, in John Paul II's 1999 message for World Migration Day, I came across a really sort of sentence that really struck me. Um, I'm just looking at it now. And he, he was sort of talking about, I guess, what we talked about in our last um, session about, you know, how the church stands in solidarity with migrants. But he said, this vision helps Christians to reject all nationalistic thinking and to avoid, avoid narrow ideological categories. So I thought it doesn't really get much stronger than that. But I guess the thing is that what we're called to do in, as Christians is, is to lay, lay down our, our lives for our neighbor. And so, I mean, certainly in terms of my situation, for example, you know, my closest neighbor is my wife and my son. So certainly what I can do for other neighbors has to be measured in the context of I have to provide for those, you know, those very close neighbors first. I, I can't, it, it's it's no love to, to one neighbor to, to effectively neglect the other. Yeah. So look, it's, it's sort of a difficult question, but... I think the overriding point to be made is that Australia is a is a big country. It has a big population. We are wealthy by world standards. There, there's more that can be done. Mm. Yes. No, and that's rather troubling. So that is, seems to me a very broad and kind of ambiguous statement about the church must reject all nationalistic borders. So mm. where does... Sorry, national, nationalistic thinking, thinking. Not, not borders, yeah. Thinking, yeah. nationalistic thinking. Even so, though, how, how do we um, like manifest that kind of idea in practical policy? Where does the church? Well, yeah. Could you well just well what what does that look like? What does it mean? What does that mean in a practical way? Well, I I think it means we can't go around saying things like sort of Australia is for Australians or. Yeah, uh, I mean it, it basically means we can't reject foreigners just because they're foreigners. So. So we, I guess it, it really turns the idea on its head. So, so we need to approach uh, the fact that Australian is a nation and in terms of stewardship and think how can Australia help those in need outside its borders um, and, and to realise that Australia is not just for Australians, it's for the, for the whole world in a sense and that Australia has a role in reaching out beyond its borders to those in need. Yeah, I, I think that's the way to... One way of looking at it. Okay. Can you touch on, if you can, where that, or what rather that looks like? I mean, would, would there be policies, for example, that a, a Catholic in good conscience can support 
from the major parties at the moment, I guess, is what, what I really want to know. When Look, I, I, asylum, I, so, mm. for example, Abbott's asylum policy, which is that we're going to continue with our offshore processing with Scott Morrison's, you know, relative silence about what that entails mm. and that there is a screening process and that there's also an application, visa application process. Yeah. But, yeah, actually the offshore processing will remain quite strict. Yeah. Look, I think it's... I think we can, in good conscience, have things like you know a, a, a robust screening process and things like that. I, I think the thing that most concerns me about the current approach is is really the spirit in which it's conducted. You can sort of tell from the spirit that what what is being done is not really being done for the refugees and the asylum seekers. It's really being sort of all set up and presented in a way to placate Australians who, who really don't want to have any foreigners coming in. And I think the first step is to sort of change that approach and, and realise that that's not the right approach and to then work in an honest fashion to to look at what Australia can do and, and do the very, very best we can. Um, because if we're, if we're just trying to sort of demonise people or keep people out, then we can be pretty sure that whatever policy decisions flow from that are not going to be um, appropriate. Mm. Um, I mean, certainly, uh, certainly in terms of voting, though, that's a whole different issue altogether as well. I mean, I'm a New Zealander, and New Zealand goes to the polls today, and I'm having to cast a vote. But it's really the case of choosing the lesser evil. I mean, there's certainly no pa- party that I'm anywhere near entirely comfortable with. Mm. Um, so, so I guess as, as a Christian voter, there's, it's, it's never going to be easy, um, and Andrew, who to vote for. on that rather somber note, um, <laughs> we will leave you to get to the polls, make the right choice. You know, we are with you and you will be judged. No, I, <laughs> I would, I would thank you very much actually for, we're dealing with, Um, people's consciences and consciences rather in a sense of obligation and also government policy and 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 then the church's beliefs the christian feeling toward the stranger it's all very difficult Mm. to make that um very straightforward but i Mm. i do think that what we can take away certainly what i can take away is we can do better and Mm. whatever side of the political spectrum you're on Mm. um i really do think that that is um our catholic our christian obligation mm. we're a rich nation um mm. and uh we we can afford to house those in need to give them mm. shelter and mm. to also provide more humane solutions mm. and so um i thank you very much for your um well-informed um and and very helpful outline of of the issues thanks daniel my pleasure And listeners, we hope that you'll be joining us in our next instalment of Conversations with Catholic Voices. So many other great podcasts that you can get stuck into. But that's it for now. So we thank you once again. You've been listening to Conversations with Catholic Voices. dot org dot au